I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So, this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. Today's guest is Nicholas Reynadal. Nicholas is general manager for North America for Einride, and he was previously COO of Einride. Before that, he was a global director of industrial strategy for one of the largest OEMs for construction equipment in the world. So if you're not familiar, Einride designs, develops, and deploys technology for freight mobility. If you are familiar with them, you've probably seen what they, some people call their pod. They call their electric autonomous uh, vehicle it's going to be deployed to a unique looking vehicle. Um, but that is just a fraction of the story. And we, we talk in detail about the overall plan here and the macro look. So Einride, they deployed autonomous electric vehicle on a public road in 2019. They have approval to do so in the U.S. as of this year. Cool looking vehicle. They're making some good good progress there. But really what we, what we talked about here and a lot of the what's really interesting to me about what, what they're doing and ultimately what helped potentially to lead to the, so they just closed 500 million in, in funding um, just in the past couple of weeks here, which is rare in today's day and age, especially for a tech company like this. But so, so what's unique and what we talked about a lot here is the overall problem that's being solved here. So Einride, the way Nicholas describes it, they're digital, then electric, than electric autonomous vehicles being deployed into the freight, e- freight ecosystem. And if we define our boundary condition as really what we're trying to be as efficient as possible at delivering freight, and what does that actually look like? How is that a different problem than what's been solved historically in this ecosystem? And what role might Einride play? What role are they playing now? And what can, can they grow into to make a significant positive impact in this space? So great discussion with Nicholas. We got into the weeds on a few, what I thought was super interesting topics. Hopefully you do as well, but uh, fair, fair warning. We got deep in a couple kind of business model and kind of macroeconomic type, type topics here, but I'll leave it there for now. Please enjoy this conversation with Nicholas Randall. Today I'm joined by Nicholas Randall. Nicholas, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to see you again. 
Yeah, ex- exciting time for Einride. I think uh, a cool, cool topic. So automated trucking uh, of sorts is a topic that's very, very interesting to me. One I've covered several times on the podcast, but the the approach Einride's taking in this space is is unique, and I'm I'm excited to uh, to get your perspective here and to to learn from you here. So, with that being said, would you mind setting the stage and maybe let's first introduce Einride and and your role um, at the company? Absolutely. So, um, I, I'm uh, responsible for the U.S. market for um, uh, for Enride, and uh, you, you can view it that we have the PNL in the regions, and then we have uh, product and tech more centrally organized in order to keep sort of a high level of integrity in terms of how we develop and how we deploy our technology. Um, but I think uh, it, in, interesting with Enride, uh, in order to sort of understand Android in a good way. It's um, it, it's good to understand the founding idea behind Android. So our CEO, which is also one of our co-founders, uh, his name is Robert Falk. Uh, I believe he was at Stanford around a decade ago and, and basically saw two emerging trends coming. One, electrification, two, autonomous capabilities, and, and his view was, and still is, that combining the two gives a disruptive value proposition, meaning that it's sustainable, uh, cost disruptive in terms of unit economics, and at scale, also a good service level, high level of precision in terms of delivering goods uh, sort of at full in time. And, and, and sort of taking the assumption that these two technologies will be available off the shelf in the future, but they're definitely in need of an operating system uh, to to plan them, schedule them, dispatch, operate and follow up in an efficient way. And that's really the, the founding thought behind Enride, the operating system behind autonomous electric freight systems at scale. Um, that digital system, we call it Saga today, and we couple it either with electric trucks, with humans inside, uh, physical drivers, or our own sort of uniquely designed um, autonomous vehicles, where you will see that there is no driver cabin inside, fully autonomous, fully electric, but with a human remote operator available if needed. Um, so I think understanding that background and sort of deriving the benefits from the operating system allows you to plan uh, efficiently also in terms of approaching freight in a different way. So we typically say digital, electric, autonomous, uh, sort of in that order. Personally, I joined the company, it's close to five years ago now. I came from one of the big OEMs. Um, I joined as the COO. Uh, we were some 20 people at the time. We have since scaled to 550 people. And for the last two years, I've been responsible for the U.S. market. Thank you. Yeah, that's a, that's a great uh, great starting point to set the stage. And I think there's yeah, a, lot, a lot of places where we're going to go go deeper here. So maybe this this first one, can you speak about kind of the, the, the business model at this point? So I think the the long-term solution right, where you you have your own trucks i think that's, that's more obvious right how you're working with well even that there's some nuance right whether you're um i know you guys aren't selling your trucks you're, you're operating them as a, as, a, as a service but um what what is who are you working with now or what what is the customer base that you're targeting 
look like now? And what, what does that level of engagement look like? Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, first of all, we go straight to the shippers. I mean, the the end users uh, of uh, that that have a need to move goods from A to B, and um, we we have a service. Really, that service you can call it freight mobility as a service, but it's a combination of two things. One is capacity, and in our world, capacity means uh, vehicles, of course, but also uh, charging infrastructure and connectivity solutions when you need them. Uh, and then the second piece of that freight mobility as a service model is the, the software aspect to efficiently uh, plan it, schedule it, and sort of dispatch it. Um, and th the reason we sort of bundle our different product areas into one turnkey service is that a lot of times uh, companies, they see sort of an, an interest in new technology, but don't really know how to engage with it. Mm -hmm. So we, we try to make it easy and convenient to interact with new technology, be it digital, be it electric, be it autonomous, providing that in turnkey service and also taking the operational responsibility for deploying our products in a very efficient way. Um, so, so, so we're both a tech company, product company in that sense, but we also make sure that we operate our products. Um, and I think if you would allow me, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, to expand upon that a little bit, that, um, I mean, the history of road freight, if you view it as medium and heavy duty trucks and, um, and, and, and you view sort of, you view, you view all the trucks running on our roads today as available capacity. Um, and, and, and basically it's a combination of, you know, the cargo availability and the operational uptime or utilization of, of that cargo availability. And there are more than 10 million trucks sort of running on the roads on the U.S. today. Um, it's a highly underutilized uh, system today. If you look at it from sort of empty returns, um, shifts where, where they are not running, sub-optimized routing, um, sub-optimized fill rates uh, when you leave, um, all of that sort of comes down to roughly somewhere between 15 and 20% overall capacity utilization, um, which means that we have way more trucks on the road today than what the actual need of moving goods from a shipper perspective dictates. Um, and, and one reason we want to engage immediately with the shippers is that by visualizing their freight needs, which is then a combination of you know, where do you have production if you're a producing company? Where do you have your distribution centers? Where do you have your warehouses? Where do you have your re retail locations? How much goods are you moving within this network on a daily basis? All of that sort of dictates if you have 100% utilization, what's the bare minimum in terms of number of vehicles and installed capacity that you need? So... For us to be able to engage in a digital way, visualize that network or footprint of our shippers and provide a very open book, um, honest view in terms of this is what you need in terms of capacity. This is how much it will cost you. And this is what you can expect in terms of performance. If, if we would take a traditional position in the value chain, i.e. being sort of an OEM or an owner operator, 
we wouldn't be able to start with that digital heat map view in mind and optimize accordingly. So we believe that it's a missed opportunity in the market today, the lack of digitalization. And we try to kind of close that gap and really stay as lean and efficient as possible. Yeah, sp- spoken as a true uh, chief operating officer perspective, talking about utilization. <laughs> 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 and and I like the, uh, I mean, the overall approach, right, of this, this isn't a, a bottom-up solution of let's go develop a cool, exciting technology and then throw it at the market. But let's look at the pole perspective, right? Let's look at the needs of of this industry and then try to find a solution that meets meets that needs. It's kind of, it's it's good uh, design thinking, right? And the, the way that we should be thinking about rolling out new technology. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I mean, I hope so. It's um, having spent eight years with an OEM, um, the, the second biggest OEM worldwide in terms of heavy duty trucks, um, and during those eight years towards the end of it, really starting to gain experience from autonomous capabilities, from electrification of the, of the vehicles, but then looking at how do, we, how do we take these products to the market in a, as efficient way as possible and having that sort of legacy position in the value chain where you're an OEM and you measure your own success on just pure volumes. That goes from you know, how you were organized all the way through sales and distribution. Each sales rep have a geographical area mm-hmm. is measured on how many units are you able to sell on a sort of given time frame, be it monthly, quarterly, annually. But also when you communicate all the way upstreams to your shareholders, it's all about volume, which dictates your revenue and margin, more or less. Um, and, and then what happens in the value chain of freight is that an OEM, sends through a dealer and 80 to 85% of the volume goes through owner operators. They are in turn sometimes consolidated to through, you know, brokers, freight forwarders, 4PLs, who in turn are providing service to the end users. So if you think about that, the incentive in the beginning of the value chain is really about pushing volumes. And then since such a vast majority of trucks today or owner-operated controlled, there is no real actor in that value chain that takes the investment that needs to be taken to switch to a more sustainable way of moving goods, um, which is sort of direct electrification. Simply, if you're an owner-operator, you don't have that financial availability or mean to, to invest in infrastructure. And since the four PLs want to be asset light, they don't take that responsibility either. And, 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 and that's the gap that we try to fill by, one, going to the shippers, working in an exponential way, understanding where can we install charging infrastructure? And when we do, what's the utilization of it? And it provides a very transparent view in terms of how do you drive this transformation in the most optimum way possible. Yeah, no, thank you. That's a, that's a good... Uh overview of the industry and this these types of interest or situations are so interesting right in which you have an industry in which everyone including external that from an externality perspective would improve or benefit from the technology improvements and efficiency gains in this industry but you have a bunch of actors who all work together and aren't necessarily incentivized individually to take that on and th- these are you know very challenging industries to evolve unless you have some type of regulatory oversight or something. But how 
how from from your perspective, right? So besides kind of the the philanthropic perspective of yes, we have we need this key player to pull everyone together and to introduce the technology in a way that makes the the whole system better. How do you actually make money and build a sustainable business around this? And what, what does that need to look like from a business model perspective for Einride to play a role and um, you know actually be able to build a sustainable business around this? That's a great question. I mean, in order to to, to build a build a strong business around this, uh, one and regardless of where you are in the value chain, I mean, you need to have a, a sort of a longer perspective to things. So, I mean, we, we basically tell our customers that, I mean, first go electric and digital with a, with a decent cost, uh, close to cost parity of what you would pay for diesel today. As you do, also get the fundamentals in place, that sort of fundamental sort of in place to also be ahead of the curve in reaping the benefits from autonomous technology. Um, and what, what we do as part of that is that we're willing to take the investment up front, but in return, we need sort of a long-term commitment from our customers. So we typically sign, you know, between three and seven year uh, deals on average uh, with five years, which allows us to do some of that upfront investment. Um, and it allows for our customers to, to take the benefit from it. In return, we need that sort of long-term view. So there will always be service level metrics uh, connected to this, but taking that longer transformational view um, is something that is important. And coming back a little bit to this sort of digital heat map where we always start our customer engagements, understand how is freight moved today? How does that network look? Um, if you view it sort of from top down, uh, what's good with that as well is that visualizing the end, i.e. the whole freight network, it also gives you a very good view to get other players in the industry excited about contributing. Um, you need things like charging infrastructure, land, zoning rights, the utilities to make sure that the power is available, the, the OEMs that provide the electric trucks today. If we can visualize them a big, strong case, and we show that, hey, the customers, the end customers, they're game. They're excited about this. Having that exponential view also helps sort of the whole ecosystem to, to focus and, and get excited about it. So it's definitely a collaboration, not sort of a, a single player type of sport that we're looking at here. And the, uh, there's so many interesting aspects here, but going back to the, the overall level utilization of, of the system and if, if i captured this right you said 15 to 20 percent utilized as a whole the the freight system um why i guess I'm, i'd be curious, maybe two parts of this so one do you have any feel for what an optimal optimal level for utilization might look like for this system right so it's it's not 100 percent because that that produces a fragile system you need some some slack in the system so that you can adjust to unexpected needs right but certainly doesn't seem like it should be 15%. So do you have any feel for where that bar as a target for kind of the, the overall industry should be? Yeah. So part of my job when I was with the big OEM um, was the industrial strategy for one of the business units. And industrial strategy is typically, you know, what do you produce where and to what volume 
and and how do you make sure that you have a good sort of planning between sales and operational planning mm-hmm. in the in an industrial context a lot a lot of times you call it snop sales and operational planning a big piece of that if you are a manufacturer of different equipment is how much capacity do you have in your industrial system and how much do you utilize that capacity and typically during the eight years that I that I spent at this OEM, if you're at roughly between 70 and 80 percent utilization of your industrial system, then you have um, the availability to to handle for you know peaks and valleys if you so want. Mm-hmm. Um, and and anything that goes beyond that, you can either manage with you know, add an extra shift or you know invest in in continuous improvement or expand your footprint it's beyond that it's more medium to long-term planning and i would suspect without you know knowing for sure because haven't done that same level of analysis on the overall freight system in terms of road freight transportation but somewhere around 70 to 80 percent would probably be a good figure in terms of assets with some kind of steady rate growth uh, of course, to be supported by that. And and I think if we can view it like an industrial system, it also allows you to understand how do we need to dimension charging infrastructure? How do we need to invest in grid balancing technology or renewable energy generation to power all of these sort of electric trucks? It allows for an efficient industrial planning that we're definitely missing out today because the the value chain and the business models that are so traditional and suffer from super low level of digitalization today. Yeah, and I, I want to get back to that point in, in a second here, but thinking thinking further about, so we, we have, I, I know you're just, just speculating, but based on analogy from an industrial system, we think, yeah, maybe 70, 80% as, a, as an overall truck trucking inf- um, macro level might be better and we're, we're way below that as a system so we, we talked around this point a little bit but i'd be curious to get if you have any other thoughts of why why is there such a large gap in the system right so you have i'm sure a bunch of capable people who have are building good businesses and there's a you know making good money providing a good service in the in the trucking industry but as a collective we've somehow come to a solution that seems to be far below optimal um yeah. do you have any thoughts to share kind of what what might be the main drivers for that gap yeah, I, I think the main driver is sort of, it's a very traditional value chain today. Uh, I agree with you. I mean, if you look at the different actors in these value chain, view it as sort of, you know, the OEMs, the dealers, the uh, owner operators, the freight forwarders and the shippers. I mean, everyone is typically striving to do their best. I mean, especially if you're a business owner, you're an owner operator, you have a couple of handful of trucks. Obviously, you want to run your business as efficient as possible, and you try to optimize from, you know, from from what you can control. But since it's such a fragmented value chain, and it's not digitalized uh, today, very low level of digitalization and also innovation in this value chain. But I think the the biggest piece is that no one really have that holistic, top-down view of what does efficient look like uh, in a certain region or a country or a vertical. 
what does efficiency look like? We don't have that view today. We strive to build that view and to sort of streamline all the actors in the value chain to be able to deliver accordingly as well. It's a big undertaking, but we also see that once you're able to paint that picture, not only paint it, but actually secure that picture by digital tools, it drives a lot of engagement. So we're mm-hmm. certainly excited about where it will where it will go in the future. Yep. But 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 also, I mean, starting a value chain off by just pushing volumes into it, you will create bullwhip effects, and and you will see them throughout the value chain. So I think digitalization and incentives is, is really what sort of driving the overall inefficiency today. Yeah, and how you know, I'm a, go ahead. I'm a middle-aged, upper middle-aged guy in a big sort of uh, automotive company. Uh, my whole sort of incentive structure when it comes to variable component is basically based on pushing volumes. That's obviously what I will do. Mm-hmm. And that's across the whole, I mean, certainly in the trucking space, but we, we see similar in the, the past car space and, and otherwise, right, of this, that's kind of one of the, the core challenges with this technology innovation is that these these companies and the the manufacturing system and incentive system and such that have been built around volumes for the OEMs as well as the suppliers underneath them. So it's yeah. hard when there's there's so much inertia just pushing pushing out more and more vehicles when this this question of hey let's let's better utilize the vehicles in the system and let's try to uh, limit for I mean for many reasons including the the effort and the materials and the uh, emissions required to produce additional vehicles like it's not an optimal solution to just continue to push new and exciting technology and no. additional vehicles but you mentioned though so this the traditional way of measuring success has been volumes and vehicle sales how and again you you've touched around this but i i don't think i have a clear answer yet but like how how are you measuring success independent of vehicle success so what what's another approach towards measuring success and putting incentivism in place that isn't tied directly to vehicle sales. Yeah. And I think this is nothing new. I mean, within operations, sort of in any type of industry, I mean, typically you're measured on utilization. I mean, to, to, to what extent are you driving efficiency in your industrial system? And um, I believe that road freight should be measured in a very similar way. Um, how efficiently are you utilizing the existing uh, capacity out there? Um, And that in combination with um, service level metrics, um, do you deliver what you set out to deliver, you know, on time in full um, within the service window that that is predefined? But but I think really utilization is something that needs to be um, addressed in this overall industry and it's probably a pretty good metric in terms of financial success as well mm-hmm. um, and and hey we, we see by the way i fully agree with you i mean in the industry also with passenger cars that just measuring sort of tailpipe emissions that's not good enough i mean we're excavating way more material from other earth than we need to do producing way more units than we need to do the energy connected to it, the uh, sort of end of life when it comes to to landfill solutions for a lot of the material that have been excavated. I mean, it's definitely time for a change 
Um, so, um, and, 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 and I believe that new technology have that opportunity to drive those benefits to society at large. Imagine way less equipment on the roads today in terms of vehicles. Um, and, and, and of course, I mean, the vehicles that are in use with a more sustainable approach to it in terms of tape pipe emissions, et cetera. That's sort of, it's an exciting year. And mm-hmm. at, 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 at Enride, we're certainly quite energized to, to contribute to make that happen. And uh, this we'll get outside of my, uh, we're already probably outside of my my comfort zone, but we'll we'll get further here with this question. But I'd appreciate your thought. The uh, so from a, a macro economic perspective or, or financial perspective, my my understanding is right. So that it's creating value as an industry is pretty easy to mark when you look at oh, vehicle sales, right? Because you have a certain profit margin that's distributed throughout the OEM and the suppliers, and it you can funnel like a, a a certain amount of value that's creation that's created by every vehicle sales or like you're, you're signaling that value creation there, which then you have a bunch of players that can share the benefit of that. When you remove that variable and you're not trying to push as many pieces of hardware into the, the industry as possible, the, the math needs to look a little bit different to see where are you pulling value from, right? And, and so as I understand when you're talking about this utilization piece, right? So you're, you have a fixed cost basis or you know you have a maybe you're you're providing the same level of service so you're not in you're increasing your revenue but you're pulling from the cost basis and you're distributing the the margin that's created on from that perspective without the industry throughout the industry mm. um i don't even know how to how to ask kind of a clean question here but is, is this something that <laughs> is, is this something that's that presents challenges when you're trying to get buy-in from the people that you're working with? Like, or is, is this an obvious value proposition when you find a, a certain player, when you can say, Hey, look, here's, here's where there's opportunities to pull more value and to provide a better service and also yeah. make more money doing it. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, so I'm, I'm going to go back a little bit to, to, to the experience that I had when I was part of the big OEMs. I mean, you're, you're an OEM and, and the economic value of, selling vehicles and aftermarket solutions and sort of financial services connected to that vehicle. Um, if you view that, view that total market as, you know, X amount of money in terms of market size, the sole purpose of medium and heavy duty trucks is to move goods. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you look at the, the market size of moving goods, I mean, the service behind it, it differs a little bit, but it's 10 to 20 times that economic value of you know selling and servicing units hmm. um and 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 that's the sole purpose of the industry i mean move goods i mean critical goods uh i think we've seen during the pandemic that from a supply chain perspective although it's underutilized and not as efficient as it can be when we rally the troops and we set out to get something done certainly we've seen for example distribution of vaccination has been you know, amazing how we've been able to achieve that in such short amount of time. Yeah. So, um, and I mean, looking at the 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 value of the industry as the overall value of, of goods being moved, uh, that's your financial roof, if you so mm-hmm. want. Um, and and yeah, I'm sure I, I didn't go high the, enough with the roof in my yeah. in my yeah. So uh, <laughs> go ahead. No, that, no, I think that's the financial roof. So I mean. Certainly, for all players in the value chain to be able to continue to to make good money 
which mm -hmm. the value chain should do for providing this very, you know, critical service to society of, of, of moving goods from A to B. Um, there is, there is definitely, uh, it, it's not going to be less. I think it's going to be more if you're able to do this as efficiently as possible. Yep. Yeah, and hopefully, I mean, I, I'm kind of getting in, in the weeds here, so hopefully we didn't lose <laughs> lose too many people. But re really interesting discussion and perspective that you have there. So the uh, and as I don't know that 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 was helpful for me to better understand this the situation, right? So I, I hadn't drawn my um, the boundary conditions kind of far enough out. But if you think about kind of the what is the objective of the actual vehicles you're selling, it's not to sell vehicles, but it's to service the movement of goods. And if we can Absolutely. do that in a, in a more efficient way, then. Yeah, awesome. So um I'd be curious maybe to to jump back to the 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 introduction of this this technology. And um we mentioned so the this overall goal is to make improve the efficiency of of the system here. Can you speak where are the low hanging fruit? So right, I'm sure there's a wide wide range of things that over time you're gonna want to do and um, that you can service kind of this entire industry, but you have to pick and choose and find, okay, where are the areas now where we can have the biggest impact? So where is that low hanging fruit? And then maybe this is a second question, or maybe it's, it's um, tied in, but like, how different is the European market from the North American market? Yeah, no, I, I think from a low hanging fruit perspective. Um, so I'm going to reflect on this a little bit in terms of how, how we approach the market uh, at Android. Uh, we have four prime industry verticals, one being retail, the other one being sort of food and beverage or grocery retail, third one being industrial goods, and the fourth one being logistics um, or freight services. Um, and uh, in, in terms of deploying this new technology, um, it, it differs a little bit if we're looking at the digital electric aspect of what we do, or if we're also looking at the autonomous aspect of what we do. Mm -hmm. But you might have seen what we do with, for example, general electric appliances in the US. Um, I think it's a good example as, uh, of, of a good use case. So they have a few appliance parks. The biggest one is in, in Louisville, Kentucky. And if you look at that from an aerial view, that's a huge area. I mean, it's big enough to have its own area code, um, you have a number of different facilities that are producing uh, different products. And then you have warehousing capabilities. All of that is sort of inside of a fenced off area. And uh, it's a great use case to introduce autonomous capabilities. The area is big. There's a high density of goods being moved. Uh, it's not public road. So we're not dependent on the regulatory aspect of, of scaling this system. And... Um, General Electric appliances, they, they reached out to us with the thesis that they've invested in the automation of the production of the goods, roughly 1.5 billion throughout the last few years. By doing that, increased the efficiency, created a lot of new jobs, and, and um, they reached out to Android and can, can we extend that automated movement of goods to also be in between the different facilities at the appliance park? So that's a that's a certainly a use case where that, that we're excited about and happy to be up and running. Um, then industrial is also good in the sense that, I mean, if you extend that perimeter 
uh, you also have a lot of the tier ones that are provide, providing uh, sort of ingoing components to general electric appliances to build their stuff. So you have a supplier network of tier ones nearby. That one is very sort of high frequency, high utilization, um, great for electric freight today. Uh, but also as a second step, great for autonomous. I mean, mm -hmm. this hub and spoke type of flow, um, you can really train the autonomous system to be super efficient in that hub and spoke setting. Um, and already today in the US, um, we have permits from, from NHTSA to do a part of that um, on public road mm -hmm. from supplier into general electric appliances. So it, if we zoom out, I think anything hub and spoke today where you have a known network, you're able to plan for it in a very efficient way. And that sort of density of planning, it's good for electric, um, it's also good for training an autonomous system. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you see other use cases, grocery retail, perfect. I mean, typically have a big distribution center, you have nearby stores uh, within a certain region, you do your milk rounds, if you plan for them dynamically, great use case for electric, also a good use case for autonomous. Um, our biggest commercial contract in the US is with Maersk. Uh, and, and that's about picking up containers from the port, dropping them off uh, at nearby distribution centers. Again, repeated task, high sort of shift utilization um, within a good distance, hub and spoke, we're able to get very high efficiency out of that. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And when we're thinking of these different scenarios you laid out, are all of these utilizing the the vehicles that you've built um, in-house in as well? Yeah, so for us, we do a combination. I mean, our bespoke vehicles is the autonomous one, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes sort of referred to as a pod, but we prefer to call it an Android autonomous truck. We build them ourselves. Um, it's proprietary technology in there that allows us to remove the driver uh, and have a remote operator nearby in case it would be needed. And, and I mean, the technology of removing the driver is, is partly connected to steering, braking, power redundancy, mm -hmm. connectivity to have a, a, a good visibility between remote operator and the vehicle itself. Um, all of that is planned and powered by our Saga digital platform. When it comes to the trucks, the electric trucks that are driven by, by humans today, we partner up with, uh, with, uh, with OEM partners. Um, so we work with um, the Daimler group, um, Scania group over in Europe, in the US, we, we work with uh, BYD. Uh, we're alive with them in, in, in over five states now. Um, and uh, one thing is that the, the, the novel design of the autonomous system, I mean, being a remote operator, you can virtually operate one of these trucks or a fleet of these trucks from more or less anywhere in the world, as long as you have good connectivity. And we believe that that's sort of the workplace of the future. But even now, operating an electric truck um, is a fantastic workplace. I mean, it's quiet, there is no vibration, 
the torque is immediate. Uh, there is no sort of pollution that will get you in trouble from a respiratory perspective over time. So this new technology is, is, is not only good from sort of the macro perspective of what we do, but the, the people engaged in operating them are, are certainly excited about this technology too. Yeah, and especially for the the right use use cases, which you've you've mentioned a few of them that seem to be the the best applications here. So, from from Minority's perspective, where what hardware do you think you you eventually may produce? So, you mentioned the the autonomous um, truck that some people call Pod is um, yeah that'll be part mm. of the solution at some point, which which you will manufacture. Is there any other piece of this puzzle that you plan to produce from a hardware perspective? I would say too early to say. I mean, today it's important for us that we control the technology. So when it comes to the autonomous technology, we we develop it and we operate it. And I mean, there are tremendous learnings to be derived from operating this. And we're able to take those learnings and have a, a short sort of path to continuous improvement in terms of continue to improve them. Um, Once we are you know, fully ready for industrialization. Um, let's see if we choose to produce ourselves or if we choose to partner up with with, with someone else. Um, still to be defined. Mm-hmm. Right now we have um, enough capacity, but more importantly, a lot of sort of lessons to be learned by by continue to, to develop it and operate it. Uh, hey, Brenda, I also want to sort of answer your question uh, on a little bit more macro perspective in terms of where does it make sense to deploy this technology today? Mm-hmm. Coming back to when we engage with our customers and we look at these you know, digital heat maps in terms of what does a freight network look like today? When we apply our planning algorithms, which we use also when we operate the fleets, um, it would make sense today to basically electrify between 55 and 60% of all road freight in the US with a good business case today. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, it's not something that will make sense from unit economics perspective only in the future. The majority of it makes sense today. So and, and with, and with perspe- great data on it. And for, are you... 100% focusing on battery electric? Do you see any place or value in a hybridized solution or hydrogen in your network? Or how, how are you thinking about those different technologies? Yeah, I mean, so when I was at the sort of the OEM, I mean, when you look at this from a system efficiency perspective, and in the past, I mean, we talked about it like from well to tank, meaning extracting oil, and then either through petrol or diesel, uh, getting that sort of refined and distributed and and into the tank of of a vehicle, and then from tank to wheel, meaning going through the combustion system and making sure that the tire have the power to hit the ground. Um, And if you look at a a diesel system today, um, you lose 80% of the energy extracted from the well until it's sort of distributed down to the wheels. Um, Hydrogen is not much better. I mean, you're gonna lose roughly, for transportation, you're gonna lose roughly 70% um, of the energy from a system efficiency perspective, again, tank to wheel, 
Will to so, sort of well to tank, tank to win. Um, it still needs to be distributed, moved mm-hmm. when you're looking at hydrogen. So it's a it's a tremendous sort of infrastructure engagement that need to happen in order to build out that solution for hydrogen. It will be much more cost efficient to invest in the existing electricity grid. And that's the beauty of battery electric, that from a system efficiency perspective, you only lose between between 10 and 20% with direct electrification. So it's superior when it comes to system efficiency. And in terms of solving for some of the difficult challenges we as a mankind are facing, I believe that energy is one that we actually will solve for. We see solar, wind, hydro is definitely picking up. We're going away from this mass scale production of energy to microgrids with renewable energy. Coupling that with battery electric for freight solution, we believe that it is by far the most efficient technology out there. So we much rather focus our efforts on going to to this sort of end state of the most efficient solution out there, dressing that in technology solutions to make it easy to adopt today. Um, hydrogen for freight, honestly, I think it's a silly thing to 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 put energy into. Yeah, appreciate it. Good to, good to hear kind of the the perspective or the, the way you guys are thinking about that. Um, I want to ask so take a quick detour and then we'll, we'll circle back and be able to close on, on what you guys are doing. But I, I like to try to learn from um, the, the guests we have on here and the, the experiences they've, they've had kind of growing the, the career on the, on the personal side and what you've, what they've learned about, you know, business and technology and, and such. So a couple, couple quick questions for you. So one thinking of your evolution to, to where you've, you've come now, maybe specifically your, your two main roles you've had on, right. As the chief operating officer and globally in the now heading the, the North American market here. What would you say are the, the things that the, the key traits or what, what it takes to be successful in these positions? And I know it's it's a huge, huge, huge question kind of with a, a bunch of abstract question, but what, what do you think are those main kind of drivers that allow someone to be successful in this type of a position? I, I, I mean, this type of position, and, and this is specifically for me, I, I, I have the... Um, the uh, the privilege of being able to be quite externally focused, um, focused on the customers and also focused on the the ecosystem that needs to come together to deliver this. Again, we do one aspect of it, but we are definitely uh, dependent on on partners, partners for vehicles, for for charging, for for land, for for power. For um, I mean, if you look at it from a regulatory perspective. Uh, to make sure that we have the permits that we need uh, in order to build sustainable, efficient freight solutions for our customers. So I think to be successful, um, be less maybe transactional and more collaborative uh, and being able to, to clearly visualize and communicate not only within your own company, but to a greater ecosystem, what sort of a better solution looks like and how the different players in the ecosystem fits in and benefit from that. I think mm-hmm. being able to, 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 to communicate that efficiently, that's definitely 
a trait that for me has benefited me uh, and, and I believe will, will benefit most people um, being sort of externally focused. Mm-hmm. Then also, um, um, this is something we talk about from a cultural perspective quite a bit at, at Enride, but think big uh, and take initiative and be sort of emotionally accountable. Uh, and I think uh, thinking less about your own personal motives and thinking more about how you can contribute to uh, a greater good, either within a company or a greater good in terms of trying to move an industry uh, mm-hmm. to a more sustainable sort of direction. Um, that That's something that typically helps, I think, that yeah. having an impact as opposed to being worried about your own personal positioning within something, that always helps. People that do great and have an impact usually get well taken care of. So thinking about those two those two traits, and I mean, just broadly summarizing as like this ability to effectively communicate uh, and w- w- externally and get a message across. And then the other one of this approach of uh, being able to, you know, think collaboratively and think with, you know, purpose behind, behind your work. Um, can you think of any any resources that have either had a significant impact on you or that you recommend to people coming into into the industry to try to help build? I mean, yeah, you can definitely make the case that there's a skill set behind at least one of them and maybe even both of them. But can you think of any resources, whether it's books or or thinkers or whatever that have uh, helped shape those two? Yeah, for sure. I I think intellectual curiosity. I mean, if you dive into a new field and this is one of the exciting things with both electric and autonomous technology today. I mean, it's still in the making. Uh, it's it's certainly a lot of things that 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 needs to be sort of locked in before it's uh, uh, at scale. And and anything from a technology perspective to a regulatory perspective to having you know proper infrastructure and connectivity, there is a lot of more exciting things uh, that needs to happen out there. So I think having intellectual curiosity and sort of sometimes we we, we talk about if you invest 10,000 hours in something, you will be an expert. Intellectual curiosity helps. And I mean, I listen to podcasts. I try to read books. um, But I also try to to make sure that we recruit people that are thought leaders within Mm -hmm. their domain. And, uh, And these people get ample space to, uh, to 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 sort of derive opportunities from their own thought leadership in this domain. So, getting the best people in place that's definitely something that will benefit both the company, the sort of external network around the company, and but also individuals within this company. That having the best people around and making sure that you have a culture where this people getting the most out of their own capabilities i think that's the trick moving yeah, away from micromanagement and giving that ample space and we, we could we could speak uh, for a long time about how to actually do that right and how to actually build build a culture that you are strive for and find and retain the right people and give them the the ability to and, uh, not not something we can get to now but maybe maybe a topic for the for the future but that yeah great great perspective great to hear from you overall um uh, Nicholas, I, I really appreciate you you joining it and uh, 
and answering all of my my wide range of questions here about what you guys are building. I think it's a it's a unique perspective, valuable perspective you're bringing to the industry. It's exciting to see. Great to see that you have uh, additional funding behind you as of last week to fuel some of these efforts and to to grow what you, what you're building. Um, with with that said, just a couple minutes here, I want want to give you the floor. Is there anything? Anything we missed here that you want to make sure to get across or you were hoping to get across or kind of independence of that? Is there anything that you're hoping someone listening to this takes away um, from the conversation? I think we covered it in a pretty, pretty good way. Uh, uh, I mean, things to take away is that uh, there is better technology out there, uh, which is good for the overall sort of ecosystem, the whole value chain. Uh, and I think uh, thinking about this from a team sport perspective, as opposed to sort of individual um, sports, the industry would benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, and I think the key point, technology is today able to move goods from A to B fully sustainable and efficient more than 50 to 60%. So I, I think as an industry, feeling a sense of urgency around that, that there are better ways of doing things. And um, if there is anyone sort of listening into our conversation uh, that want to contribute and be a part of that, I mean, feel free to reach out. Uh, this this transformation is, is, is a huge one. It's a $2 trillion marketplace. Um, everyone needs to contribute. Um, and we certainly see good traction. Uh, and are excited to continue with them. And are the the team you're building is it exclusively or primarily in in Europe? Or are you looking for talented? Oh no, no. We we we're like 550 people now. We have some 70 people in the US. Um, I mean, US is we, we we love the US. I mean, first of all, it's a huge market. I mean, almost a third of the total market size. Uh, we see that. Our customers are excited about adopting new, more efficient technology. And um, I mean, as long as you have a good value proposition, people seem to embrace new technology in a strong way. So definitely this uh, will continue to be highly prioritized for Android. Great. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, definitely check out and we'll make sure I have a, a link. I mean, you can reach out to me and I can put, put you in touch too. I think, uh, yeah, Nick, Nicholas, really, really appreciate this. Great, great talking with you and uh, best of luck to you. Likewise, Brandon. Appreciate it. Talk soon. Well, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Nicholas Renadal. So what stands out? So the first thing is really to me is what we didn't talk about. So Einride has some incredible IP, some incredible technology that's being developed and deployed. But I really appreciate Nicholas not feeling the need to cram all of this. And so you can look look online, you can find information, you can see about you know the cool stuff they're developing. But I really appreciate we were able to have a discussion around this topic and talk more about the underlying impact that we're trying to make, which personally is is really interesting. And I, and I enjoyed getting that. I mean, Nicholas has obviously thought about a lot of these topics and has experience in areas that I certainly do not. So I enjoyed learning from him. I hope that made for a, a good session here. I, I realize, uh, yeah, from a traditional kind of getting a message across, the, the gut is trying to spew out as much information as possible about IP and cool technology and, and stuff. But I, I appreciate that Nicholas did not go that route. Um, I also... 
the other thing that's interesting is this kind of this macro discussion, right? About what does success actually look like for the trucking industry? It's not simply deploying technology. It's not simply putting electric or autonomous or hydrogen, which Nicholas said he's not super optimistic about, but, but whatever the technology is, the success is not necessarily deploying as many units of a given technology as possible. It is making the overall ecosystem more efficient, more effective, better utilizing our resources and the way in which we are solving the end problem, which is delivering freight, which no, I, I didn't necessarily have that clear thought coming into it, but I appreciate from from the discussion here, Nicholas was able to help uh, help clarify that, and I, it makes that deeply aligns with the way I'm thinking, kind of foundationally about the role of this stuff. So it's it's cool to hear how Nicholas Einride's thinking about um, this overall ecosystem and their role. A lot of work to be done. I mean, it's great that they have their their first couple projects here in the the U.S. underway and um, making some positive impact. There's, long long way to go before we have fully autonomous vehicles deployed at scale but yes it's it's cool to see that there's a path to making a positive impact uh before that happens so really appreciate you listening hopefully you enjoyed this discussion feel free to reach out if you have any any questions or want to talk about anything Love, love the chat um yeah as always appreciate it and more to come next week Thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. If you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast.